0: Hey, everybody. It's Dan McGaugh here, the CEO of the leading tech stack agency, McGaugh.io. Usually, our episodes consist of one guest and we talk about their strategies, what they're doing with their goals, and the stack that they're using to make it happen. But today, I've got something a little special for you. A few weeks back, I held a live panel with some of the industry's best minds to talk about what you need to consider when building your tech stack for 2023. The conversation was a blast and full of must-known information for marketers everywhere. And because it was so awesome, I wanted to make sure everyone got a chance to hear it. So we're bringing it to you here on the Stack Podcast. In this special episode, we're going to talk about the tech stack trends that you need to be aware of as you're going to be going into 2023. We're going to dig into the first party data revolution, how it's going to change the way that you're going to run your marketing. And we're here how you should prepare for 2023 for likely budget cuts and as well as a lot more of things that could come your way as we head into this weird economy that we're going down into. To discuss these topics, we're joined by John Miller, the CMO of Demandbase, and he's also the co-founder of Marketo and their first CMO. And then we've got Adam Greco, an all-around legend when it comes down to analytics. He's now a product evangelist for Amplitude, but used to be at companies like Salesforce and Adobe. Really, the guy's totally legit. One of the big analytics thought leaders in the space. I'll let them introduce themselves, though. Let's jump into who John is. I've been in MarTech my
1: entire career, starting a company called Epiphany, then I was a co-founder and the first CMO at Marketo. Nine years at Marketo, I started uh, one of the earlier ABM platforms, a company called Engageo. And after almost six years at Engageo, in 2020, I merged Engageo with Demandbase together to form sort of the new Demandbase, what we call Demandbase One. And I've been you know, helping build the leading ABM platform
2: since then. My name is Adam. I have been in the digital analytics space for over 20 years. I was one of the early employees at a little startup no one had ever heard of called Omniture. I uh, was there for several years uh, until it was acquired by Adobe. I spent a lot of time blogging about digital analytics, wrote the book on Adobe Analytics, and I've been through probably about a thousand digital analytics implementations in my lifetime. And for the
0: last year and a half, I have been a product evangelist at Amplitude. Yeah. And you rock. I know we were talking a little bit before this. You're actually going to be moving to Amsterdam with Amplitude as well, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm jealous, super, super jealous. Um, well, just to kind of set the framing, thanks everybody for being able to join us. Uh, looking forward to digging in. You know, I guess like when we think about heading into 2023, you know, 2020 was crazy. We saw a massive COVID bubble that happened in 2020, 2021 that happened in tech. And you know, going into 2023, it's kind of a new world again. The new normal has dramatically changed, especially when we think about the tech space. But when we think about the tech stack, what are some of the trends that we need to be aware of? John, do you want to kick us off here?
1: Yeah, happy to. You know, One of the things you told us right before the call is you know, don't do a 30-minute speech. And I feel like I could easily you know, just give a 30-minute speech on the trends. But I'll, I'm going to cover just a couple of the key ones at a very, very high level. I think number one is a blurring between demand generation and ABM, a blurring between marketing automation and ABM platforms. Historically, there have been separate tools. One for you know, lead-based demand gen, that's the Marketos of the world. One for account-based ABM, that's the demand basis of the world. The reality is we shouldn't need two different solutions for what's really should be an integrated go-to-market. So I think we're going to see you know, these platforms kind of coming together. And as a corollary to that, we're going to see the rise of a third concept um, of the buying group. You know, Today, there's sort of people and leads, there's accounts. But what you really want to market and sell to at the end of the day is the buying group. The thing that sort of sits between those, because that's really what is doing the purchasing. That's number one trend. Number two trend I'll talk about is I think we're seeing more convergence between marketing and sales tech. Sales is being more involved in the purchase of what would be traditional MarTech. You know, At Demandbase, we have more sales users than marketing users, even though we're considered marketing technology. So I think we're going to see some of that blurring. And then last but not least, there's a lot of research out there that's talking about the rise of the self-service buyer. As we see more Gen Z millennials making the decisions, that's changing how people sell, right? They don't want to talk to a salesperson. They want to kind of do it on their own. That's driving trends like product-led growth. But also, I just think it's going to transform how traditional MarTech and sales tech need to work.
0: And I think product-led growth is like, at one end of the spectrum, I think in a lot of cases, it's a buzzword that everybody wants to use. And at the other end of the spectrum, there's some companies that can really, really take advantage of this and drive their business forward. But I do think there's a fine line. And it'll be interesting to see how that trend plays out in 2023. Because I see some companies that I'm like, you should not be doing a PLG strategy, rolling out a PLG strategy. And I'm interested to see how that's going to work. You can still
1: think about how to embrace the self-service buyer. Right. You know, with things like more transparent pricing, product tours or, or demos, you know, trials, lots of things that sort of tap into the same buying trend that PLG taps into, even if you
0: don't have a PLG emotion. I like that. That's great feedback. Uh, and great points there. Adam, what are you thinking some of the trends are gonna look like next year?
2: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Um, We are huge in PLG right now. Um, We are seeing amazing growth in our customers who are using a PLG motion. At Amplitude ourselves, we're trying to eat our own dog food and do PLG. We find that the more we get people to actually use the product before they pay us anything, the easier it kind of greases the wheels of the sales process. And we are seeing that the younger generation, they just are really averse to talking to salespeople. I mean, they just want to get all the information. And, you know, we compete with some other kind of more traditional enterprise brands who don't let people use their product. And it's really becoming kind of like a a secret weapon for us And because of that, and this is, you know, everything I speak about comes from a digital analytics perspective, we see our customers using the data to figure out how to find new customers. And the big trend that we're seeing is you talked about sales and marketing coming together. We're actually seeing marketing and product teams come together. Because if you think about it, the marketing team is always trying to get more leads, but they a lot of times don't know what happens once they actually get the lead. The product team is, they've got them in the app, they got them in the service and the platform, and the subscription. And so what we're seeing is that the product team and marketing teams are wanting to work better together to understand is the money we're spending in marketing actually leading to long-term subscriptions or, or repeat purchases and so on. So I've talked to many companies all across the world who are basically saying the idea of having product and marketing teams like maybe as separate, maybe going away. And you see this trend starting with startups because the growth marketing teams are almost like a hybrid between marketing and product. So what's kind of weird is if you think about sales and marketing come together and then marketing and product
0: coming together, you know, what happens with sales and product. I remember 10 years ago when the separation between sales, marketing, and product teams was like a barbed wire fence. It's wild to see how those fences have really come down between these departments. It was even more wild to hear Adam talk about how that trend is still gaining momentum. I feel like this has been going on for years and it's just, is there ever going to be a real end to it? But it sounds like we're making progress. I want to highlight what Adam was talking about, what the differences we're seeing in the younger generation and how that will impact your strategy. Wait a second. Did I just call them the younger generation? I, I am that generation. What am I talking about? Like, I don't want to talk to salespeople. Most of you don't want to talk to salespeople. I don't know if this is just a younger generation thing, to be quite frank. Don't get me wrong. Some of these younger individuals, Gen Z, Millennials, and things like that, which I'm like a Gen Z, and millennial, whatever you would call me. But either way, like we're filling in the critical roles at these companies, and like we don't want to talk to salespeople. And I'm willing to bet most of you don't want to talk to salespeople either. We've all had this bad experience where we talk to a salesperson, they make us jump through all these sales hoops, got to do all these meetings, all these demos. And they're like, yeah, absolutely, it inter- integrates with Intercom like that. Yeah, totally integrates into Salesforce like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a click and you're plug and play, no problem. And then we get then into the process, we have to sign the contract, and we're like, that's not exactly true, right? So I think many of us are just over this like classic or traditional person-to-person process where like we have to do things kind of like through them and not be hands-on. And, you know, I think this is why a lot of us really just want to like jump in and test the product and not have to jump through those sales hoops. And this is why product-led growth is really taking off right now. I had a killer conversation with Justin Power. He's the chief product officer at Amplitude, all about what Amplitude is doing with their product-led growth strategy. It's a few episodes back. Go check it out. It's pretty dope. But it was really cool to hear how they think about PLG in general at Amplitude, who really does sell to enterprise companies. And he gave us a lot of the inside scoop on how they measure PLG and as well as how they run their strategy. I I recommend going and checking it out. But I think it's interesting how like the economy has changed so much. And us younger people, I guess, is as they're calling. uh, Hopefully, I'm still one of those younger people. I'm not sure. Either way, but like they're saying that the PLG movement is because we don't want to talk to sales, which is true. Right? So I think it's an important trend that we all have to pay attention to. But before we move on, right, I want to iterate a, a key point that I made earlier. Product-led growth is hot. And like it's a great strategy, but it's not right for everybody. I'm actually working with a company right now where they are dead set on PLG. And I'm like, you know, I just don't think this is good for your business because you're a complicated sales process. It just might not be the right one. So I just recommend you really have to evaluate what's really going to work for your business before you jump on these hot trends, right? So make sure you understand what you're getting into and it's actually going to work for you before you really get it. Test the waters is what I would try to say. All right, enough talking for me. Let's move on to some other hot topics for 2023. You know, I'm really big about first party data and the death of the third party cookie. So let me Shut up and let's get into that. One of the big things that we've talked a lot about with our customers is, you know, I think in 2021 and going into 2022, you know, there's been a lot of focus on first-party data. How do we get more first-party data? And I know, John, as an example in your company, of course, you provide a lot of this enrichment and kind of third-party enrichment data, but a lot of people are trying to create their own data warehouse full of all this data. Adam, your product enables people to track this first-party data. So I guess, like, how do we see this revolution of third-party cookies dying, people moving to a first-party world and trying to capture as much data as they can? I guess, like, how do you see that really changing the marketplace, Adam? Like, how do you p- see people using this data today? Over the last couple of years,
2: in decades, actually, what I think has happened is that a number of brands have basically said, we don't really have the team, the bandwidth, or the energy to build direct relationships with our customers, and we're going to take the easy way out and just buy our customers using third-party, you know, Facebook, Google ads, basically just rent out that function. Now, with privacy policies, some of the new restrictions, and browser, you know, just coming around with cookie deletion, I think what we're seeing is that organizations are being forced to build direct relationships, direct first-party relationships with their customers. And I think a lot of companies aren't really ready for that. They didn't have the infrastructure. They need to be able to both have a first-party relationship, but also respect privacy. And I think that it's forcing companies to do what they probably should have done 20 years ago. But I think it's a good thing for the industry. I think, I wish the U.S. was more leading the way when it comes to this, you know, privacy stuff that Europe, we're kind of taking the lead from Europe on. But I think there's there's always a good outcome when you build a direct relationship with your customer. And I think the result is going to be more websites and apps and services in which you have to authenticate and tell someone, you know, here's who I am, and then adhere to, you know, basically give them permission to track you or to have certain access to
0: certain parts of your data. So
2: I think in the long term, it's a good thing that we're going through this.
0: I would agree. I mean, I think it's definitely we've been lazy for a little bit too long in regards to the way that we treat our data by having these third party Facebook or Twitter provide us with a lot more of this for our own targeting measures. You know, John, we had an interesting conversation in the podcast in regards to how demand based is capturing lots of data from technographic, demographic, and then being able, the firmographic data, being able to service this to your customers and then making it so that this data is more readily available. I guess, like from your perspective, how do you see that third-party shift to first-party and vice versa?
1: Yeah, I think first off, where, where the magic of account intelligence really kicks in is when you're able to combine your first-party data with good, accurate third-party data. I think the key thing to think about is, you know, the reason everybody's talking about the importance of first-party data is because of things like cookies and privacy going away. But in reality, that's very focused on consumer B2C marketing, and where people have privacy concerns is about individuals. You know, Don't share my John Miller's data. People are a lot less worried about privacy concerns for sharing company-level data, because a company, by definition, does not have a right to privacy. So the kind of information that I'm talking about, as you said, firmographic information, that's you know your size, your location, your industry, technographic data. What what other technologies you own? When have you purchased them? Even intent data about you know what are the categories you're showing interest in? Those are all fair game, even in a kind of a privacy focused world, because that's information about the account. So I think we're going to be in a world where first party data is really important, and people are investing in CDPs and other things to sort of collect and clean and organize their first-party data. And we'll then be looking to augment that with quality third-party data, especially about the accounts, if not about the people.
2: Yeah, and John, if I could just add one thing, and this will end up being a little bit of a free commercial for you, but it's a true story. One of the things that that blew me away is many years ago, um, when I was a consultant, I started using uh, Demandbase's product on my blog. And what I would do is I would write blog posts. I would be able to see not who was coming because I don't have that first-party data, but I would see the firmographic information, what organizations were coming. And then I'm connected to lots of people on LinkedIn. So I would reach out to a couple people on LinkedIn from the companies who are reading my blog posts. And I would basically say, hey, how's everything going with your analytics? Do you need any possible help with consulting? And it was really funny because, you know, probably three to four times out of 10, someone would respond back and say, it's so funny that you just reached out to me because I was just reading one of your blogs and I would kind of pretend like I didn't know and I'd be saying, wow, that's just such a coincidence. That's amazing. It must be fate that you're going to be a client of mine. And using that firmographic information combined with the digital analytics data that I had gave me an unfair advantage in finding new customers. And it's common sense and it doesn't violate any privacy. That's, you know, to me where I think companies need to go is just like get out of their way and use the technologies that are available to help you close deals.
1: Yeah. And what's so perfect about what you did is you used the data you had without shoving the fact that you had that data in the customer's face. And I think that's a privacy best practice.
0: Yeah. Sometimes people get a little creepy with that when they kind of remind you of how much data they have about you. And I don't think that that always goes a little overall that well. That
1: that never goes well. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I have a, a webinar that I've done that personalization without being creepy. And there's some creepy cases out there that big brands have done. So always fascinating. You know, I think an interesting thing that we've seen as a trend in kind of MarTech in general, and like the way that this data is working is we have all this first party data that we're capturing in Salesforce or Amplitude or wherever it may be. And then we're now getting all that data into a data warehouse, Right. Demand base is capturing data for us and sharing that information. And then we have the data in the warehouse. And in 2022, I think reverse ETL became more and more popular. I think Adam, you have reverse ETL built into uh, Amplitude and we're trying to resurface this data. You know, from a first party data perspective, I guess, like, how important is it having your own data warehouse compared to sending the data just into another product like a Salesforce? I'll just say from my perspective,
2: uh, most of the clients that we have are sending the data, you know, both to Amplitude, but also a data warehouse. You know, whether that's Snowflake, you know, there's lots of, you know, lots of ones out there because a lot of times they want to merge that with other data that doesn't have anything to do with maybe their website or their app. But to me, the really cool part about it is When you do take your data warehouse or data lake and you can build segments of customers that take all the touch points there and then you can reuse those segments by sending cohorts of users back into, you know, different systems. So, for example, uh, you might have someone that is doing a lot of activity on a website that goes into a data warehouse. Then they go to maybe a store. There's data about that. They end up in a certain segment. Then that segment can be ported into, say, you know, Amplitude. You could then query and say, show me the people that match this segment. And then you could send that to like a braze and then send them a message. So, really seeing all of those kind of things connecting to each other for the correct use cases can be really, really powerful. John, you want to add on there? It's important to nuance the answer
1: to this discussion slightly by company size. What we see is that, I would say, upper mid-market and enterprise are the companies that are like investing in their own data wakes and data warehouses and that kind of level of of IT infrastructure. Middle-level, mid-market, and down, generally they don't have the resources for that. They're more likely to, I think, be using an embedded CDP approach, whether that's on a demand base or another application. So just different architectures for, I think, different company sizes.
0: I would agree with that. And that's something you talked a lot about in your episode in the podcast is the verticalization of a stack and the horizontal nature of different tools in that stack and how they integrate all across to be able to share that data. And I definitely agree. Like if you're a small company compared to a huge company, you've got to have a very, very different uh, view of the world there. You know, I think one of the interesting things that we've talked a lot about over the years and, and you know, People have talked about the single source of truth for years. I want a single source. I want one source I know that is the sense of truth. And I think over the past five years, I really have advised people, you don't want to have just one single source of truth when you have all these different tools. You should be trying to mirror A lot of what your data is across these tools, the best you can. And of course, your database, your warehouse is your best place of truth. But I guess, like, is that changing in the way that Martech is heading? Is this now a critical thing where you need to have a single source of truth? Or is this a red herring that you have a single source of truth? How do you look at that, John?
1: I think we want to strive as much as possible to achieve some sort of commonality of how we're looking at things. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's marketers in this or salespeople listening to this who have just been in meetings banging their heads against the wall where marketing and sales can't agree because you realize you're looking at the data differently or you're looking at different data. So just to build a well-functioning go-to-market, the more that everybody is kind of looking at the data, the same data in the same way, I think really, really does help a lot. Now, that said, I think the single source of truth can be kind of a virtual or, if I may say, meta concept as opposed to like, oh, that data warehouse over there is actually the single source of truth. You know, put another way, it's sort of like Adam was talking about earlier, where as long as data is flowing around between systems and you're pushing audiences back and forth and you're kind of sharing that common point of view, you're going to get that, that benefit of, hey, we're looking at the data the same way, even if, you know, if there isn't like, yeah, that system over there is the single source.
2: Yeah, I mean, what I'll, what I'll add is when I was at working, I worked at Salesforce in the marketing department for a number of years. And what was interesting is we had this dilemma where everyone was claiming credit for different leads, different successes. And our CMO was pretty clever at the time. Uh, he basically met with every group and said, can you explain to me how many leads you drove last quarter? And he basically did this individually and added them all up. And it was four times the number of leads that we had overall. And so I think when you have that situation, you do yearn for a single source of truth. And I think that having a data warehouse that is the system of record is the way to go. However, I see a lot of companies that what they do is, is they'll go into certain point solutions and they will have different numbers than the ones that are in the data warehouse. And what we're starting to see a big trend is a lot of organizations, um, that like I'll tell you in our case in Amplitude, we have a lot of organizations that are taking advantage of an integration we built with Snowflake because they want to basically be able to, to mirror their information in Snowflake and Amplitude. So they know that those numbers are exact. So they could send data to Snowflake and then from Snowflake, send it to Amplitude. So it's the same source data. So there's no worries that when you're in Amplitude, you're going to see a number that is different than in Snowflake. So I think there is a desire for it. I'm not a big fan of the 360 degree view of the customer because I think that's like, we've been talking about that for 20 years and I don't think that'll ever happen. But I do think you've got to decide which is your system of record for leads, for certain, for sales and and so on. And you just got to do your best to make sure that they all match and the fewer systems that you have, you know, the better.
0: This idea of Salesforce or Marketo being a single source of truth is something I have to steer my clients away from all the time. I mean, it's a trap for so many businesses to fall into and it's limiting their access to accurate and full data. Salesforce is a great tool and so is Marketo, but they're not good at reporting. Now, don't get me wrong. They're going to get you far enough in most cases. So if you're a small company, it's totally fine. But if you're becoming a big business, right, and you want to have accurate data and like things that you can really use, in my opinion, you have to start using your data warehouse. You should be working naturally to sync all the data across your stack as much as possible, right? Like Salesforce and Marketo are integrated together, but you should be trying to sync more data across more tools whenever possible. But you got to make sure that you get as much of that data down into your data warehouse. I mean, there's a lot of easy data warehousing tools. Everybody talks about Snowflake. Redshift is still really popular. And hopefully everybody knows what Google BigQuery is. But I have to say, using a data warehouse and then slapping a BI tool on top of it is not cheap or easy there are cool tools out there like Metabase and Popsicle and a few others that make this a lot cheaper, mode analytics, stuff like that. But if you really want to get like on the big boy stuff, you've got to have Tableau, not that crazy expensive, but it's more expensive to hire the data engineer who's going to work on it or the data viz person who's going to work on it. And then if you've got deep pockets, right, you might go for Looker or something like that. But still, the true cost is not just in the tool, it's actually in the labor or the, the people that it takes to really get it done. And that's where products like Salesforce are a lot more cost effective but they're not going to be able to give you the same answers to the same questions. Whenever you're trying to like have the best data, there's obviously like you get what you pay for, right? So you got to make the best decision for your business. Moving on, though, you know, something that is on everybody's mind is the economic headwinds we're going to hit in 2023. We've already seen a big slide in the stock market through 2022 with tech stocks getting slaughtered, and that's bound to impact many of your marketing budgets. Whether you think about it or not, whether you're in tech or not, just tech companies getting beat up like this is going to affect a lot of other companies. Inevitably, your stack is going to be an easy target for saving cash. I had a client today who I was talking to, and they need to cut a million dollars from their MarTech budget for 2023 that's just in the freaking tools that's not like in their advertising budget. just the tools and you know i wanted to talk to john and adam and kind of see what they had to say about how can you prevent your tools from getting cut like naturally how do you prove a tool's worth and how do you kind of thrive in the face of these tumultuous times right so let's jump into what they had to say
1: I've been thinking a lot about this question. Back in the days of Marketo, I mean, I built, I had a model that literally connected budget to leads, to meetings, to opportunities, to revenue. And I could, I think, very strongly defend my budget by saying, Hey, look, give me 10% more money. I'm going to generate 18% more revenue. That model was built on an assumption that buying is linear and that the sales and marketing motion is like a baton handoff you know, marketing generates lead, you give it to an SDR, you know, and you can sort of do that direct attribution and say, this was a marketing source deal. I think in today's world, that assumption's broken down, you know, and most B2B buying doesn't resemble a relay race anymore. It resembles a soccer or in World Cup season football match. All the players are on the field, but we're passing the ball back and forth as we ultimately score a goal. And everybody's touching that ball at different points, you know, along the journey. That model makes it a lot harder to show that direct connection that says this was marketing sourced or not because marketing and SDR and sales kind of all touched it. So I tell you this whole story to first tell you. I'm curious a little bit about how marketers should be defending their budgets in this world where I think it is more complicated and nuanced. The two things that I'm working on to sort of try to make this work, you know, the first off is ratios. You know, there's some good benchmark data from KeyBank you know, that says that the average SaaS company, marketing takes up 30% and sales takes up 70% of the total sales and marketing pie. So one of the things you can look at is say, how much of the pie does your marketing team get? And if you're below 30%, why are you off the benchmark? But ultimately, it very well may come to that we need to double down on attribution. You know even if it's more complicated, where marketing and sales and SDRs are all touching this ball, you know that just means we maybe we need to work even harder to build those models that connect the dots together. This is something I'm actively thinking about.
0: I like it. and I, I think having attribution is good, but I think at the same time, attribution is very hard to understand for a lot of organizations, and especially when you start getting into not only is it marketing attribution, it's content attribution, but it's also stakeholder attribution, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, because you know most marketing attribution is about just attributing the marketing touches. I mean, that's typically what happens, and that's useful to improve your ROI because you know what some things work better than others. But I don't think it's useful to prove your ROI because it's, there's so many touches that don't get incorporated in that attribution model, and I think that's the real challenge here that is a little unsolved.
2: So I might have a little bit of a different opinion because I think attribution is something that has been slowly dying. And I think anyone who tells you that they can do accurate marketing attribution is full of crap. I just didn't you just launch an attribution product though at, at Amplitude? Yeah, we of course. Yeah, we had we had to add some attribution to our product because we're competing with other vendors like Google Analytics that people just want us to have it. But like even when I wrote a blog post that said we're adding attribution, basically said this is not really where it's at. I think what we're gonna see in 2023 is more around the trend of incrementality when it comes to attribution and for those who aren't familiar with with incrementality the idea is that you basically kind of have either manually or you use ai or machine learning to basically just kind of like shut off your advertising for be- periods of time and have it always shifting and changing and let the machines basically tell you hey you can get rid of all this and you're not going to see any loss because i think what's interesting when i was at salesforce Another story that would happen is we actually went dark on our paid search advertising by accident, like something broke, someone made a mistake. And our CMO at the time, we were all panicked and said, you know what, this is an unplanned test. Let's just keep it dark for a couple of weeks and let's see if we actually have a decrease in leads. And it was really interesting to see how much, you know, SEO picked up, email picked up and so on. And I've talked to a lot of companies lately who've been squeezed on their budgets and they've said, you know what, we've actually turned off a lot of our marketing campaigns and we're actually not seeing that much degradation in our key KPIs. So I think that's kind of an interesting model. And I think your mentality is going to let people kind of take that to the, the furthest extreme where the machines are going to be better at humans at determining this stuff. And, and again, when we get into a little bit more, I have some trends that I think are going to replace some of the things that are happening in marketing. I think the nuance here that we got to sort of be clear
1: about is, you know, I think all these kind of analytics, even what you're talking about, you know, or, or attribution in general, to go back to the line I said before, attribution, I think, is useful to help you improve your ROI, but you, it's hard to use it to prove your ROI. In other words, like what Adam's talking about, you can say, hey, do more of this and less of that. It's great for that. And we should be using it all day long for that kind of decisioning. But to try to go to the CFO and say, I invested $100 and I got $130 out, attribution can't handle that level of
2: precision, I think. Exactly. And and one other story I'll share is uh, we recently closed a a pretty large deal at Amplitude. And when that deal started, I had a friend who worked at the company. Um, I introduced them in during the the sales process that person came to a webinar that we did because they were intrigued about us and that was what got the attribution for a multi-million dollar deal now again there's many touch points as john was saying it's more like a soccer badge many touch points but how do you take the human part and put that into attribution it's really difficult
0: So we talked about mitigating the risk of future budgetary cuts and a good amount of that we talked a little bit about attribution, proving your return on investment, being able to speak to leadership. You know, how do we maximize our tech stacks capabilities to reach revenue goals as we head into this new kind of this new world of the tech stack? Adam, do you want to kick us off here?
2: Yeah. So I think there's a couple different scenarios. When you think about your tech stack, we see that. Some companies, like really large companies, feel much more comfortable with their MarTech stack of kind of going all in and say, we're going to work with one vendor for everything. I think we see more mid-market and startups who are much more comfortable with more of a mixed, some people call it the modern tech stack, which is really just vernacular for, I'm going to stitch together lots of different vendors and choose the one that I like the best in each area. Now, if you go with the all-in model, One of the problems you have is that you do lose a lot of your pricing power. There's definitely some synergies there, but once a vendor knows that they have you with four or five of their products, there's nothing stopping them from increasing the prices and you're kind of locked in. It's kind of like if you're an Apple user and you've got 10 Apple devices, like there's nothing you can do if they want to charge you 150 bucks for a power cord, you're kind of hosed. But I think that many of the companies that we're working with – are basically feeling like they want to use the MarTech products that they want to use and not the one that is part of a suite. And I know there's differing opinions about this, but I think that it's becoming easier and easier for organizations to send cohorts of users or data between different products. And we're seeing a lot of companies basically come up with, you know, we like this product for this, this product for this, this product for this, and they all go together. There's also some really cool technologies like Zapier and others that are really making it really easy to be able to send things back and forth. So I think that if you are tight on, you want to obviously maximize your revenue, but you want to spend the least amount of money. There are ways, and I I don't advocate this, but there are companies that are literally saying we could do everything in open source. And we can do some amazing things by collecting data with an open source tool. We can do our own reporting, our own analysis. Now, at some point you gotta decide, do you wanna be in the business of owning a tech stack and supporting your own tech stack, or do you wanna outsource that to a vendor? But I think there are opportunities to save money here and there and use the best of breed that your organization likes. But that's just some of the things that we're seeing outside of the the big enterprises who just, for procurement reasons, oftentimes like to just have one suite. John? I think I would say I'm seeing a different trend, you know,
1: where as I talk to CMOs and, and, and frankly, just across organizations, it really does to me feel like we're seeing a wave moving a little bit more towards... Uh, companies trying to consolidate around a you know a single smaller set of vendors, which less so because it's pre-integrated, but more just single throat to choke, and ultimately lower cost, right? And we've seen this all the time, right? I mean, using Salesforce as an example, right? You know, if you are on Salesforce CRM, you can probably start using Pardot, you know, for your marketing automation for less money than Marketo, regardless of your company size you know if you're on you know demand base you know you can start using our personalization much more cost effectively than going and buying a third party personalization solution so i think people are realizing that fewer vendors lets you get access to more things at lower overall overall cost i think that's the trend and i frankly think it's a challenging trend for the next few years for the
0: smaller players You know, I think this is interesting because you have the best of breed stack and then you also have this consolidation stack. And I've seen a lot of change here, especially over the last kind of, I would even say the last year to two years, especially with the two people that are duking this out, I think the most, which is a HubSpot and a Salesforce. Salesforce went out and bought everything under the sun and is now trying to patch it together. HubSpot went and built everything under the sun and has kind of that suite. And I see between those two, they're really trying to fight it out. So I see, some people still going that best in breed stack where they have Salesforce and they're integrating everything with it, but I'm seeing a lot of people also go to the HubSpot route because they're able to integrate it together and it's all one seamless product. So it's kind of interesting because at the same time I mean Adam your company continues to build more and more features to consolidate things. John, you, your company is doing the same. You've even acquired a few companies this this past year. I think it was in 2022 and 2021 to continue to add to your suite. So both of you are kind of at a suite company. And I guess like when you think in your own businesses, how are you fighting against the best in breed stack and the capabilities that that provides you in your own businesses? Yeah, I mean, I can just tell you from our perspective.
2: So, you know, we do digital analytics. We do experimentation and testing. We do CDP. But what our approach is, is that we have this kind of coopetition approach. So for example, the reason that we built a CDP product, it was mainly because a lot of our customers were using Segment or MParticle and then sending that data into Amplitude. And our customers came to us and said, you know, I'm paying for every data point that I send it to Segment or MParticle, I'm paying them, then I'm sending it to you and then I have to pay again. And we'd like to only have to pay once for our data. So can you guys help us out? Now, we have a lot of customers that are using our analytics product and they're basically saying, okay, if we need a CDP, we're gonna use the Amplitude one. Now, there are certain things that our CDP doesn't do. You know, there's some, you know, some CDPs are super advanced and if they have really advanced requirements, then they're probably gonna use us and then send that data to a CDP. But we are still going to integrate with MParticle and Segment. And we believe it's kind of our core DNA that the customers should get to choose the products they want to work with. Now, that means that if they want to save a little money, that they, could, they can get rid of a Segment and Particle and use Amplitude for everything. But we have a lot of customers that will use amplitude analytics they'll use m particle they'll use optimizely and they'll use snowflake that's a very common kind of mixture as i was mentioning earlier and those products all integrate very seamlessly together and you'd be hard pressed to find one vendor that does all of those things super well now we're aspiring to do that just in the areas that we think make sense right now which is cdp personalization experiment And analytics. I don't think we have plans right now to go beyond that. But those are areas that we see our customers pushing us to do. But we want to be able to partner with any other stack. For example, we have a huge amount of customers that use Braze and Iterable, and they just really like those products. And so we just integrate with them. So that's you know we. I think in the future. You have to let customers choose, and you can't just say if you're not going to use our CDP, you can't use our analytics. We believe that's just kind of a, a short-sighted mindset.
0: Yeah, John. Quick follow-up to that before we move on to another question.
1: Well, I think there's a implicit point of view in the question, which is that if you are sweet, then you are not best to breed, and I'm not sure that that is always true. Whether it's you know Salesforce CRM, you know arguably best to breed. But also sweet, demand-based ABX, you know, sweet, mm-hmm. <laughs> arguably best of breed. So, so that's, that's the first piece, right? I'm, I'm not sure that it's always that kind of arbitrary trade-off, especially because tools are so easy to integrate, you know, today, and tools tend to work with so many kind of you know other systems. I'll leave it at that for now.
2: Yeah, and and I do agree with that, but I but I do think that if your suite is like, I'll just use Salesforce as an example. I used to work there. Not going to bash on Salesforce. There are many products that Salesforce owns that are not best of breed, that are not great. They acquired them. They're not fully integrated. And I wouldn't recommend any company just say, I'm going to just do every single thing that my entire MarTech stack is going to be in Salesforce. Now, you can do that. And it's easy to have one procurement, you know, one throat to choke but you are going to probably have some trade-offs. Now, some vendors are better than others. You know, there are some vendors that have amazing products within their suite, but, but I do think you just got to take it vendor by vendor. And- sure,
1: and it wasn't implying that everything was best in breed. I'm yeah. saying you know, some of it is best in breed. Pick the things that are, you know, you're typically going to standardize around the things that matter to you the most. I mean, this is all in the context of budgetary downturns. Like in that world, you know, I think that the pendulum seems to be going more towards consolidation. Around that couple of core best of breed platforms that you selected.
0: When we think about 2023, right, as we head into this new year, the tech stack and as well as the responsibility of marketing ops, rev ops I mean, we have a revenue engineer on our team now. We have all these different roles that you need to manage the data, manage the operations, manage the process to be able to make an individual salesperson successful, or even being able to make it so a marketing leader can get their reports. I mean, what are the key hires that we're seeing or the key roles that are going to evolve as we head into this next year? John, do you want to kick us off with this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like a question I answered before, it depends
0: on your company size.
1: Later today, I'm going to go meet with you know one of the world's largest software, the marketing team, the full global leadership from one of the largest software companies in the world. And we're going to be talking about the traditional kind of center of excellence hub, with you know regional spoke models and you know that implies a whole set of hiring you know that you need to do and if you're a 100 person company with six people in marketing and one marketing operations person you're going to hire a very different kind of set of roles so i think it's more more than sort of like specific people you should be hiring i think we should be you know what it's almost like what are the the hats that you need somebody to be wearing whether it's specialized to one person or across across multiple people and you got to you know be thinking about data you got to be thinking about privacy you got to be thinking about the budget you got to be thinking about analytics you got to be thinking about running campaigns and operations and governance and so on.
2: You know, I'll tell you from my perspective, the larger the company that I work with, the more martech tools I find sneak into the organization. And one of the things that I've been seeing a lot of companies do lately, and a lot of times this happens underneath marketing operations, is identifying just what the heck is out there. Like there are so many tools being used at companies. And a lot of times when I first joined Amplitude, I actually started doing some research into this. And I found that we had like three ABM tools. You know, we had multiple things. And what I think is really needed is a lot of companies need to use the tightening of our belts that we're going to come up with here and say, you need to justify every product that we are paying for in the MarTech stack. And the way that I like to approach that is to say, what are the, the use cases or the business questions that these products are solving and how integrated are these products with the other products that we have? And I'll give you an example. So... Like one of the products that we're trying out a new product that I actually think is really cool. It's a sales product called Small World right now. And it basically allows you to to upload all your LinkedIn contacts and see who at the company knows someone at a company you're trying to sell to. It's common sense, but it's kind of cool. But we're kind of piloting this product. And when we first started using it, it, wasn't integrated with Salesforce. Well, now it's integrated with Salesforce and that has made a big difference. And I think that you've got to understand what is being used. If it's effective, make sure that everyone's using it and make sure that it's integrated with all the other MarTech tools that you have. If not, you need to kill it because people just get burnt out on so many tools. And I think it's so much easier to buy tools than it is to get rid of tools. I use the analogy of like, It's easy to go shopping and buy new clothes, but then it's really like hard to throw away clothes because you're like, oh, I like this shirt. I like these pants. I don't get rid of it. You end up just like stuffing your closet with stuff. So I think everyone needs a good house cleaning and you always need an excuse for that. And having a little bit of a, a mini potential recession is a great opportunity to kill things and get down to the basics.
0: One last question, which I think will set the stage for all of 2023. As we head into 2023, does anybody actually believe that Google Analytics Universal is going to be paused in July of 2023? Does anybody uh, on this panel think that that's actually going to happen in 2023? Well, they've already extended it for the paid version, but no, I I think they'll keep extending
2: it just like they keep extending the Chrome blocking of cookies. (laughs) I agree. John? John?
1: I'm not nuanced on the details of Google Analytics, but I do think that we're going to continue to see the end of cookies being pushed out until there's a viable
0: alternative. Our panel with John and Adam was crazy insightful. And as I head into like what's likely going to be a very unique and interesting new year, I really recommend you spend some time and plan your 2023 budget with all of this wisdom and advice in mind. If you're looking to take on Adam's advice in cleaning out your stack closet, I've got you covered. Just jump over to stackbuilder.com. It's a free product that I built you can use to scan your stack. It'll tell you all the tools you're using. So if you need to cut something, you can figure it out through there. Or if you need to figure out some good ideas on what you need to add to your stack, you can actually use the tool to find some of those ideas too. It was great to hear what Adam and John had to say about 2023, first party data, the data revolution. I really like the fact that John had made a comment about like, it's not the question of best in breed versus best in suite, right? Some of these suites are the best in breed, right? So maybe that's the wrong way to look at it, but you've got to figure out what's going to be best for your stack. Now that's all I've got for this special episode. So keep making sure that you follow us, hit that subscribe button. We're going to have more events at Magal.io so you want to make sure you go check us out there so that way you can get access to our next live panel. But for now though, I hope you get some time to relax and spend time with your family and friends over the holidays. And I'll see you next year. So happy holidays from everybody here at the stack. And I hope you have a safe one. Bye.